Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Buckle up. I mean, buckle up. I'm so excited about today's show. We are going to stir up so much mess with today's show, but I love it. This is what I'm built for. This is what I love to do. I I love to hop on a topic, expand on it, expound on it, and make the whole world pissed off and angry and confused. And today's show, I think it's going to be our greatest show ever. Uh, And I hope you enjoy it as much as I hope, as much as I'm looking forward to uh, delivering it. I want to start here. And happy Friday, by the way. I don't know if I said that the weekend's here. That you can talk about all weekend. Uh, we'll tack. I'm. You're, it's just going to be me and you for a little more than the next hour. Uh, then I'm going to tack some of the greatest football discussion on me and Warren Sapp. But and and, and that'll be like your post show cigarette. Me and Warren Sapp. You're going to be so satisfied with the first hour, the first ninety minutes of this show that you'll be like, ah. Oh. And that, that, that'll be me and Warren Sapp at the, at the end of the show. Uh, but I want to enter this into the record before I get into today's show, because there's going to be some whining today. Oh, God, there's going to be some whining and crying. And, uh, Randy Moss and Ryan Clark and every, the entire ESPN Complex may just melt down in tears today, and we certainly know that uh, social media and all the race hustlers, they're going to be crying and whining. Oh, my God, Jason Whitlock is so racist. He hates black people. Oh, God, all he does is criticize black guys. And so I just want to give you a little bit of context before I go into who I'm going to destroy today, Stephen A. Smith. I just want you to understand a bit of my background. I I hate to play y'all's game, but I am going to play y'all's game and just enter it into the record before you start whining and crying. (laughs) You criticizing Stephen A. Smith. You didn't tear down black people. I've been doing this for a long time. Everybody, eventually, all the frauds in sports media, eventually get the smoke from me. 
And so I just want to remind you all that are jumping on board uh, now and don't know my history. I want to walk you through a bit of my history as it relates to my relationship with the sports media. And th this is why I was so excited about Cat Williams uh, yesterday and, and what he did on Shannon Sharp's show. Because I was like, <laughs> look at Cat Williams. He's the mini me. He's the skinny, tiny version of myself. He's doing to uh, the comedy world what I've been doing to the sports media world my entire career. And so I just want to remind people, I think we got some headline grabs or something, but there was a sports writer, a famous one named Selena Roberts uh, for the New York Times. And for those of you that don't have great memory, Selena Roberts, uh, she was at the front of the uh, Duke lacrosse story for the New York Times. She promoted that scam and that lie of the Duke lacrosse deal. You remember the Duke lacrosse players raped some black stripper and you know it all blew up in her face. Selena Roberts was the author of those stories and the driver of that story for the New York Times. I called her out in real time over the Duke lacrosse thing. And then, you know, she was still famous because she's a woman and you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and you know, she was also, I didn't know it at the time, but I didn't know she's lesbian. And so she checked a lot of boxes and she worked at the New York Times and she was the great sports writer of that time. And so she circled back and doubled down and wrote a book about Alex Rodriguez. And the book was insane. You could tell she had a personal problem with Alex Rodriguez. I mean, it was a ridiculous book. And I started writing about it after, and I'd already killed her about the Duke lacrosse thing earlier, but then I destroyed her over this Alex Rodriguez book. I so destroyed her that like Deadspin and other people started writing stories about like, Whitlock keeps attacking and destroying Selena Roberts. Because I did. And, and so that, that's just, and, and at one point she did an interview about my destruction and takedown of her and she accused me of being homophobic, and that's why I was criticizing her. And, and I was like, oh, Selena, I, I had no idea. I didn't know what your sexuality was. I didn't know you were a lesbian. No clue. Had nothing to do with my destruction of you. It, it had everything to do. I didn't like your work. You were fraudulent. The Duke lacrosse thing, your attack on Alex Rodriguez, it was all fraudulent, and I just called it out. So that's one. Then I'm also known for, and people remember, uh, my attack on uh, my former colleague at the Kansas City Star. His name's Joe Posnanski. Uh, the media establishment love Joe Posnanski. He's the greatest thing in the world. Oh, he's the best sports writer since Mitch Album. Oh, my. God, Joe Posnanski, he's such an awesome writer. And, you know, Whitlock gets all the attention, but Joe Posnanski, he's the great journalist, and Whitlock's the fraud. And I used to listen to that. And everybody, it was all BS or whatever. And, and I actually didn't have a personal problem with Joe. I mean, he's a little fraudulent and phony and passive-aggressive and all that other stuff. But I'd actually been the person, because Joe, he worked with me at the Kansas City Star. I recommended to the Kansas City Star that they hire Joe Posnancy because he wrote sports in a different way than me, and it would be a good combination. That, that was my suggestion. 
But eventually, uh, Joe leaves the Kansas City Star, and uh, Joe goes to Sports Illustrated and goes there. And the whole media establishment just celebrated Joe. And I knew that there was a lot of BS and bogusness to Joe and his writing. Played loose with the facts, you know, liked to play loosey-goosey with quotes. And, you know, he everybody got celebrated by Joe Posnanski. There was no meat. There was no substance. There was no grit. There was no journalism, really, to Joe Posnanski. And it finally all got exposed uh, <laughs> when Joe... Uh, took a deal to write a book about Joe Paterno. And this is before the Jerry Sandusky. He took the deal right before the Jerry Sandusky thing uh, blew up in his face. And let me uh, make sure I want to call some of this up because this is (laughs) probably the most, it's probably one of the best things I ever wrote. I, I I have to say that. Let me see if I can still find this. Uh, paternal. Oh man, I wrote a piece taking down Joe Posnanski's paternal book as one of the most shallow books ever written, and I wanted to read you some excerpts from it. Paternal reveals the yeah. It reveals. I can't. I wanted to read some of this excerpt. Let, let, I'm gonna take a minute. I'm I'm, going to find this. Hold on for a second. Uh, Paterno reveals more about the author. Uh, I, this piece, yeah, here we go. Fox Sports. There we go. This piece eviscerated Joe Posnanski and uh, the Columbia Journalism Review called it you know, arguably one of the best pieces of writing of 2012. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt. This is from the paternal book because Posnancy got in the middle of a real journalism story, the Jerry Sandusky scandal, and it was way over his head, way out above his skis, above his journalistic chops. He wrote one of the most embarrassing books uh, that's ever been published. And I called him out for it. And, uh, some people in the media enjoyed it. Other people was like, this is why I hate Whitlock. How could he do that to Joe, Bert- uh, Joe Posnanski? They work together. Whitlock must be jealous. Anyway, it starts out. One thing is obvious after reading Paterno. I'm talking about the book. <clears throat> the much-anticipated biography chronicling disgraced Penn State coach Joe Paterno. The biographer doesn't know his subject. This explains Joe Posnanski's reluctance to express an opinion about the deceased football coach he allegedly spent nearly two years getting to know intimately. In the few interviews Posnancy, the book's biography, has consented to, the celebrated sports writer has ducked characterizing his thoughts on Paterno by saying he wants, to, he wants readers to make up their own minds regarding Paterno and his legacy. Posnansky's fluffy 400-plus page opus provides sparse guidance. What it inadvertently does for the highly careful reader is expose how a coach and a writer can sacrifice their integrity over time, one compromised decision at a time. It's difficult to discern what's most shallow in Posnanski's book, the reporting, the access, or the insight. A mere 26 pages in, and the journalist who reportedly had unprecedented access to Paterno, the coach's family, confidants, and football program, is reduced to retelling a story spoken by a female football intern at a paternal memorial service, recalling the coach walking into his office, catching her eyes, and remarking, it's cold out there, eh? 
Then Posnanski wrote, he was a legend, or he quoted the woman, he was a legend. Katie Sawyer is quoted in the book, and he was talking to me. <laughs> I go, that was the book's first glimpse into paternal soul. Joe Pa, an old man, made small talk with a young woman. Imagine that. <laughs> it goes on and on from there. I'm just telling y'all that because I'm going to walk you through the fraudulence of Stephen A. Smith, and many of you are going to run and scream, oh, he's attacking a black man. He, he never does that to white people. And I, I'm just, I've been doing this my whole career. When I smell fraudulence in someone in the sports media and they get my attention, they keep tapping on my shoulder and they keep pretending like they want to pick a fight with me or they pretend like they want to go toe to toe with me or I just decide, you know what, this person needs to be taken out and needs to be exposed. I just do it. I don't care if whether it's a white woman, black man, black woman, whatever. I just do it. That's what I've done. So stop all the whining and complaining now and just deal with these facts I'm going to break out during this monologue. Now, before I get to the monologue, before I get to the fire starter, <clears throat> let me take care of, because uh, I've certainly <laughs> uh, had a sip in, with my coffee uh, today, uh, that I want to take care of our good friends at Fox and Oden. Let's face it, sometimes you get to the end of a long day and you just want a drink, but you don't just want any old drink, no. You're far too classy for that. What you do want is something smooth, something with complex flavor. You want the kind of drink that was made to be uh, that was made to relax. Well, good news. That drink is Fox and Odin whiskey. Raise a glass to great taste. Fox and Odin whiskeys are created to honor the wild beauty around us. Whether you're enjoying your favorite chair by the fire or maybe even just sitting around your own backyard this year, why now let these perfectly blended spirits Compliment the view. However you choose to relax, enjoy it to the fullest with Double Gold award-winning Fox and Olden Craft American Whiskey. The staff here loves it, and you will too. Give it a try today, buy online, and ship it to your door at foxandolden.com. That's Fox, F-O-X, and Olden, O-D-E-N.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS and get 30% off, plus free shipping on all orders. Please drink responsibly. And... So, <clears throat> listen to this mono responsibly. Don't whine and cry. D don't hop in the chat. Oh, Whitlockies. Oh, this is why we, we all got to all stick together. Don't, don't do any of that. I'm trying to explain to you how the world works and what you need to open your eyes to. Kick back to all your friends. Hit the likes. Hit the subscriptions. If you're, if you're listening over Apple, dang it, today, after this week, after what we've done this week on our comeback and return from the holiday, hit that five-star review over and over and over and over again. <sighs> Am I ready for this? Are you ready for this? All right. <clears throat> it's difficult to adequately summarize three-hour attack comedian Cat Williams unleashed on the entertainment industry earlier this week. Williams carpet bombs so many big names and spends so much time riding third rails that interviewer Shannon Sharp authentically wondered whether any high-profile Hollywood guest would return to his popular podcast, Club Shay Shay. 
Williams proclaimed the year 2024 as the year of truth. Listen for yourself. Only the guy you had here has been upfront and honest and a man of God and humble and took the L's he had to take and didn't. I, I did see it was trending though, but I ain't know. I, I don't. I don't. I ain't know why I can't. I don't. Let me go to this question right here. It's cool. All right. people that love the truth gotta be happy if the truth coming out and lies is getting exposed. That's just what time it is. Twenty twenty four, folks. Are you really? There it is, 2024. He said that. That's at the end of a nearly three-hour interview. He, he said that after taking major swipes at Diddy, T.D. Jakes, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Hart, Steve Harvey, Chris Tucker, Cedric the Entertainer, Ludacris, the Illuminati, and insinuating major stars are controlled through sexual malfeasance. Williams argued that the entertainers at the top of the comedic industry don't advance through hard work and talent, but rather they rise and fall based on their entrance into secret alliances and willingness to promote the messages Hollywood, eat, Hollywood elites and the CIA dictate. He leveled his most direct criticism at comedian Kevin Hart. Take a listen. Have we heard of a comedian that came to L.A. and in his first year in L.A. he had his own sitcom on network television and had his own movie called Soul Plane that he was leading? No, we've never heard of that before that person or since that person. What do you think a plant is? <laughs> he's talking about Kevin Hart and he's saying that he was installed at the top of the comedy industry. Cat Williams, he ripped Steve Harvey for promoting a false personal narrative about being homeless. Williams claimed Cedric the Entertainer plagiarized a joke from him. Williams referenced Chris Tucker's association with sex trafficker Jeff Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein. Williams said the Illuminati promised Ludacris $200 million and a light-skinned wife. By the time the tiny comedian mentioned reading 3,000 books a year as a child, being qualified for college at age seven, and running a 4-3-40 yard dash as a junior high football player, the average listener was likely overwhelmed and a bit unsure of what to believe. That's why you have me, and that's why we had yesterday's show. But I want to re reiterate, here's what you should believe. The people at the top of the influence industries arts, entertainment, media, academia, and politics have been installed by a small handful of elite power brokers. Merit has been eliminated from American culture. That's what Cat Williams was really complaining about. The tiny comedian believes he has superior talent, work ethic, insight, and integrity to many of his more celebrated peers. He's frustrated that American culture has become so corrupt and controlled that obvious blatant lies pass for infallible truths. Many of us can relate to his frustration. The elimination of merit directly connects to the pandemic of lies plaguing our country. The people at the top of the influence industries must support the following lies or face ridicule as bigots, homophobes, anti-Semites, transphobes, sellouts, coons, and misogynists. Let me walk you through all these lies that you have to sell. Diversity 
is America's strength. We must implement racism to fix racism. Biological men should compete against women in sports. The vaccine prevents COVID. All lives matters, that's racist. Child mutilation is gender affirming care. Abortion is healthcare. Traditional Christianity is racist. America is systemically racist. The patriarchy is evil. Gender dysphoria is not a mental illness. American secular Jews do not have enormous power in Hollywood or in the media. January 6th was an insurrection. Trump supporters are racist. Racism caused George Floyd's death, not years of drug abuse and resisting arrest. That's at least 15 lies you must support or ignore in order to avoid character assassination in modern American culture. No wonder Cat Williams is angry. No wonder he spent three hours calling out his peers. Comedians are supposed to be truth tellers. They're supposed to point out the lies prevalent in society, not provide cover for them. I can relate to every bit of Cat Williams's angst. He realizes George Carlin would likely be jailed in 2024. I feel the same way about my hero, Mike Royko. Journalists are supposed to be truth tellers. Now we're nothing more than entertainers and co-conspirators in the lies being foisted on the public. Stephen A. Smith is the Kevin Hart of the sports media. Smith is a plant. Disney and ESPN installed Smith at the top of the sports media world because his inadequacies as a journalist make him easy to control. When you don't earn a position, your loyalties go to the handlers who installed you. It's why Harvard chose Claudine Gay. Joe Biden chose Kadanji Brown Jackson and Kamala Harris and why the music industry celebrates rap and the talentless hacks willing to rhyme the N-word every 10 seconds and brag about the color, wetness, and flexibility of their booty and coochie holes. All right, but let me return to Stephen A. Smith. I don't want to distract you. Last year, I publicly feuded with Smith, the host of ESPN's First Take program. He re repeatedly referred to me as fat bastard. The barbs tickled me. They also made me take an even deeper interest in how someone with such limited journalistic skills came to be the face of the worldwide leader in sports. Stephen A. Smith released a memoir in 2023 called Straight Shooter. I read it. It's farcical. When I listen to Cat Williams talk about Kevin Hart and Steve Harvey, my mind immediately drifted to Stephen A. Smith's memoir. Smith's story just doesn't add up. He, or his ghostwriter, claims he received a full basketball scholarship from Winston-Salem State after a one-day tryout in February of 1988. A former Winston-Salem State basketball player allegedly drove Smith from New York to North Carolina for a tryout after Smith impressed the former player doing a one-on-one -on -one matchup on a playground court. According to his book, 
Smith arrived on Winston-Salem State's campus on a Saturday, checked into a hotel, and woke up Sunday morning to participate in a scrimmage. Now, <clears throat> I want to pause here just for a second and, and give you a bit more context before I explain this full story. Let me add that Smith played one year of high school basketball. He rode the bench for the 1985-1986 Thomas Edison High team as a senior. In the book, he says his one season of prep basketball ended abruptly when he failed a single assignment in a single class. He didn't fail the class, he failed an assignment and was removed from the team. That's according to his book. That I, I just, just, a guy fails an assignment and is removed from his high school basketball team. So after his abbreviated high school career, which involved him riding the bench for half the season, Smith matriculated to the Fashion Institute Technology College of New York. It's a school for men and women that want to get into fashion. Smith enrolled so he could play on Fitt's junior college basketball team. He rode the bench at Fitt, too. In his book, uh, hold, hold for one second. Not only did he ride the bench, he halfway through the season without I don't even say halfway through the season. At some point during the season, without explanation in the book, he disappeared from the fit basketball team. He just said, I left. He, he didn't explain why, uh, other than saying he was riding the bench. But I, I want to read to you, th this, is, this isn't directly related to basketball. This is what he said his schedule was like while a member of the fit basketball team in New York City. I'm gonna to read to you from his book that unfortunately I've read. Off the court, I didn't have a minute to spare. Cultivating an endless capacity for work, I took the maximum 18 credit hours a semester. Why? Anyone who grew up poor knows the answer. When you're relying on financial aid, you take as many hours as possible because you don't know how long your education will be paid for. I also found a full-time job to offset the cost of books and expenses, as well as any extracurricular activities I might pursue that might my aid didn't cover. Oh, my mother had made it clear she wasn't supporting another do-nothing man in the house. So my job at Barnes and Noble's bookstore in Midtown Manhattan started every weekday morning at 8.30 a.m. So here's the schedule Stephen A. Smith says he was living under while playing basketball uh, for the fit team. Like many other Hollis commuters, that meant the following routine. Wake up at 6 a.m., shower, dress, and then hustle up the block to catch the Q2 bus on the Hollis Avenue. 25 minutes later, I jump off at Hillside Avenue and 179th Street to catch the F or E train for another 45 minute ride to Midtown near Rockefeller Center. From there, I walked a couple of blocks to the job. Except for a half hour lunch break, I was on my feet until 4 p.m., helping one customer after another. I then raced across town to fit. Just, I want you to zero in on this, and if you've never been to New York City, maybe you won't understand how crazy this sounds. Or if you've never lived in a major city, you won't understand how crazy this sounds. 
I'm gonna reread it. Except for a half hour lunch break, I was on my feet until 4 p.m. helping one customer after another. I then raced across town to fit from 48th Street and 5th Avenue to 28th Street and 8th Avenue to make the team's 4.30 p.m. practice. Anybody from New York, hop in the chat, hop in the comments, call me, email me. <clears throat> you go from 4 p you in New York City, and at 4 p.m. you get off from work. You go across town, and you're ready for a 4.30 p.m. basketball practice? Stephen A. Smith and I are the same age. We, we would have been athletes at the same time. I, he, he got held back a year, so he's a grade behind me, but we're the same age. And I played football in college. He, he's a legend. He played basketball in college. You can't go across town in New York in 30 minutes and be ready for basketball practice at 4.30, but it's his book, and, and maybe it's just a tiny exaggeration, but I'm t if you read this book, because I'm, I'm not going to get to everything in this book, it's crazy. Then he says, after nearly two hours in the gym, it was another sprint to make my classes each weeknight from 6.30 to 9.20 p.m. After class, I retraced my morning route back to Hollis, walking through my mother's front door at 11.30 p.m. Whatever homework or studying I couldn't fit in during lunch or break or weekends, I did then. I'd eventually fall asleep, wake back up at six, and do the same damn thing all over again. This is, <laughs> I'm t when, I, when I first read this book, it was so farcical and so, I was like, hey, what's going on here? Who, 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 who authorized this? Who's writing this? Who thinks this is believable? But then I kept, I kept reading. Scroll up. I, I, I want to scroll up a little bit because I've already covered what, what's there. Uh, oh, the next thing Smith alleges is that his sister's friend or boyfriend or somebody, this is after he mysteriously quits the fit basketball team. And by the way, I've talked to one of Stephen A. Smith's former high school teammates who graduated with Stephen A. Smith in 1986, uh, who told me, you know, Stephen A. Smith rode the bench in high school and talked his way onto the team and wasn't any good and, you know, was like six foot one, 140 pounds and uh, begged the coach to be on the team. And, and, and again, Stephen A. Smith says it only lasted a few months. He got, he allegedly failed one class. Uh, but this guy, played on the next year a competing junior college team that would have competed against this fit team. And he's like, Stephen A wasn't there. And so Stephen A would argue like, yeah, I quit the team. I don't tell you why, but I, I quit the team. And so Stephen A then argues that he played a couple of, a month or two of high school basketball and never really played. He played a month or two of junior college basketball and never really played. And then somehow in February of 1988, a former Winston-Salem State basketball player puts him through a playground workout in New York City. A playground workout in New York City in February. 
check your weather calendar. February, New York City, Stephen A., according to his book, is going through a playground tryout. He's going through a workout with some guy that played at Winston-Salem State years ago on an outdoor playground in New York City. He wants us to believe that. And the guy is so impressed that he's like, oh my God. Stephen A., next weekend, this is according to the book, I'm going to come pick you up and drive you down to Winston-Salem, North Carolina for a tryout with Big House Games. I'm reading this and I'm going, holy cow, who is serving this up and who is believing it and why? Why would someone tell these kind of lies? And, and, and <laughs> so he writes in the book, the next weekend, the guy comes and picks him up on a Saturday. They drive all day to North Carolina, check into a hotel, and on Sunday, wake up, and this is a, I'm gonna read this, or tr let me see if I can find this directly in the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they wake up on Sunday and show up at a Winston-Salem State basketball practice that was already going on, a scrimmage. So, and again, I'm going a little bit out of order here because I'm just I'm just lost in the sauce right now. But, but just think this through. And because I went and looked, it's February. I go check Winston-Salem State's basketball schedule for the 87-88 season. When, you know, this is happening in February of 1988. This covers the 87-88 season. Winston-Salem State, like... Virtually every other college basketball team during that era played a basketball game on every Saturday of February. So Stephen A is saying that Winston-Salem State, at the end of their basketball season, when they're preparing for their conference tournament, and what, and maybe trying to qualify for the Division II postseason tournament, that they play a game on Saturday he wakes up the next morning, they're having a scrimmage that he arrives to late in the middle of, and Big House Gaines checks this six foot one, 150 pound guard from New York City who played a couple of months of high school basketball without acquiring any stats or anything, played a month or two of junior college basketball without acquiring any stats or anything, he shuts down a practice, checks Stephen A. Smith into the scrimmage, and then, according to Smith's account, he knocked down 17 straight shots in the scrimmage, and Big House Gaines offered him a full scholarship immediately after the practice. I, I, I'm reading this, and when I read it, I was like, you gotta be kidding me, this is a comic book, and this man's calling this his memoir. He got a full ride scholarship after checking into a Sunday scrimmage after a team played a basketball game on Saturday, knocks down 17 straight shots, and the coach of this team, which 
If you go read Big House Gaines's memoir, his book, his biography, all Big House Gaines did was complain about how limited his budget was in Winston-Salem State, how the school wasn't flush with cash and a bunch of scholarships for his players. He was always trying to make ends meet. But this frail, frail kid from New York City, he gave a full scholarship to next year's team after watching him play for an hour in a scrimmage because he allegedly knocked down 17 straight shots. Who writes this? Who believes this? I cannot appropriately do justice to the far-spent story Stephen A. Smith paints in Straight Shooter. Smith has struggled to explain it himself on TV. In November of 2022, not that long ago, November of 2022, what is that, 14 months ago, 15 months ago, on the set of NBA Countdown with Malika Andrews, Jalen Rose, and J.J. Redick, ESPN ran a graphic of Smith, Rose, and Reddick's uh, senior year stats. Oh, let's play this clip. I want to, I don't know, what, what, what is it? Yeah, slot number four. I, or no, yeah, slot number three. Number three, I want to play the clip of Stephen A. Smith, of Malika Andrews and J.J. Reddick and Jalen Wills. Here's Stephen A. Smith talking about his senior year. We're coming off college hoops, guys. Yeah. So I do want to show you all a little something. I got a little something to show you here before we dig into the NBA. Take a look at this blind resume here. It's three players. They're scoring average in each person's final college season. Do we, do we have any guesses who this might be? Jalen, who do you think? What, what is this? Nah, this is hilarious. JJ's on the right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're not telling us I only played one game because of crack my kneecap in half, but that's neither here nor there. That is neither here. Did y'all just look and hear what Stephen A. Smith just said on national TV? They put his senior year stats up. Everybody's giggling, and you can tell Stephen A.'s pretty uncomfortable early on. He ain't in on the joke or... Maybe no one warned him. I don't know. He tried to loosen up at the end. But then at the end, he says, what they're not telling y'all is I only played one game because I cracked my knee. And then, so, look, look, I'm not good at math. That's math is not my strength. I was a writer, and, and you know, I struggle. I use both my hands and toes to count. But walk me through this and walk yourself through it. One and a half points per game. How do you average that in one game? Is there a one and a half pointer in Division II basketball? How do you do it? It can't be done. See, see, it can't be done. It's comical. It's an impossibility. And I know I'm not great at math, but you can't average one and a half points a game in basketball in one game. So, that's November of 22. Stephen A. Smith's books comes out, I think in January, February, whatever. My uh, conjecture is he's catching some heat because maybe behind the scenes people have read his book and they got questions. And so on his own podcast show, Stephen A. Smith in August of 2023 uh, offers up an explanation. I believe this is uh, SOT number four. Let's play that. This is Stephen A. Smith 
explaining his college basketball career. Let's get the basketball stuff out of the way. I'm sick and tired of people lying about my basketball resume. Ladies and gentlemen, when I say that I wasn't great, I'm talking about compared to greatness. I was good enough to get a basketball scholarship. I was good enough to get my education paid for. With two bad knees. They talk about I averaged one and a half points a game. They, I saw some article on social media. That's a lie. It was less. See that? You didn't know I was going to say that, did you? It was less than that. It's a lie. How about zero? Because I never played. Because I cracked my kneecap in half. I got operated on at Wake Forest University. In Winston-Salem, North Carolina. My mama was by my bedside. My sisters came to see me. They said I'd never walk straight again. My bone cracked in half. My first year at Winston-Salem State. I still have those knee pains to this very day. Still. In the knee that still has a six-inch screw in it that I never took out. And then the left knee, because I spent years overcompensating for the pain in the right knee. You didn't know that, did you? Did you? You want to sit up there and think, I just ride the bench. I couldn't play. Ask people who played against me whether or not I could play. So, <clears throat> Stephen A. Smith is now saying it's a lie that he played any games at Winston-Salem State. That's what he said in August of 2023. In November of 2022, he told the lie. In his book, he insinuates the lie that he occasionally played. And then what's even more just bizarre, and I don't have an answer for any of this. I don't know, I can't, and I've been looking, I can't get to the bottom of any of Stephen A. Smith's alleged high school, college, uh, junior college basketball career. But but he's, he's now saying he never played in any game because he cracked his knee. Let's put up the image of the 1991 stat sheet for Winston-Salem State University. I, I think I, I gave you all that image of the stat sheet for the 1991 Winston-Salem State there's a Stephen Smith listed on that stat sheet that says it played, he, he played nine games. And I believe it says he averaged one and a half points. And I believe that's probably where ESPN reached the conclusion in that November 2022 uh, segment that like, oh, this is Stephen A. Smith's senior year. These are his stats. Let's put it up. And, and that's why Stephen A., if you go back and rewatch the he looks so uncomfortable. Maybe no one told him because everyone just bought the assertions, the lies, the insinuations that Stephen A. Smith played basketball at Winston-Salem State. And so ESPN said, well, here's Stephen Smith. Here's a guy that played nine games. This, this coincides with when Stephen A. Smith says he was in college. This must be Stephen A. Smith. And so they ran the stats. So it's just, are there two Stephen A. Smiths or two 
take the A out, are there two Stephen Smiths that played at Winston-Salem State? Because one guy, according to the stat sheet, played nine games, and the guy on TV is saying he never played a game. His entire existence at Winston-Salem, it's weird. His first take show has traveled back to the campus at least twice. But the only picture we've ever been shown, or the only picture I have been able to discover that ESPN shows that represent Stephen A. Smith's uh, college experience at Winston-Salem State. Put, can we put up the, the Wilt Chamberlain uh, program picture of Stephen A. Smith? It's the only one they ever show. Can we put that up? He's in his jersey. It's like a standard headshot for a game day program. Anytime ESPN talks about Stephen A. Smith's uh, college basketball career or experience, we get one single shot, that shot. Uh, the guy on the right is Big House Gaines, the coach, who again, Stephen A. Smith in his memoir claims that, oh, he, uh, Big House Gaines was like a father figure. I sat in his office and we talked and he was my mentor and he's my guy and he's, he's this and that. Big House Gaines in his book, no mention of Stephen A. Smith. But anytime ESPN goes to Winston-Salem State, references Stephen A. Smith's uh, alleged college career as a basketball player, they show that picture of the, on the left, or I don't know what side it is on the screen, but it's the, it's the Wilt Chamberlain picture of Stephen A. Smith. And so, can we, I just, <laughs> this morning, <laughs> I just went to my cell phone, and, and I just want to compare why I'm sitting there like, hey, what's going on with Stephen A. Smith and Winston-Salem State? How come I can't see an action shot of Stephen A. Smith in a practice? Game, I can't find one from high school. I can't find one from fit. D did his family ever come around in these games? Did they take any pictures? There's nothing. I can't, uh, who, the guy wrote a memoir. There's no pictures in the memoir. There's nothing on the internet. There's, I can't, ESPN, when they try to reference his college life, they show one single picture. So this morning, I just want to, it's like, this seems unusual. Me and Stephen A. Smith are the same age. And so I go to my cell phone, my iPhone, which was not in existence, obviously, in the 80s. But do we have the a collage or just, I want to show y'all some photos that are just in my cell phone. That's me and a bunch of my, is the black guys on the Ball State football team, I believe, in 1987. I'm... A little chubby, good-looking dude in the front. I can name everybody in that picture. That's me in fourth grade at my very first football game of my life. This is just in my phone this morning, just looking through. Show the next one. Again, th this is the kind of stuff. That's me in the most important college football game I ever played. We're playing Western Michigan for the MAC championship. That's me in the running game, I was successful, blocking Joel Smingy, longtime NFL player, retired, I think, as the sack leader for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He plays for Western Michigan. Behind me, there's four guys in that picture. I don't know if you can see it clearly. Three of the four guys in that picture all played in the NFL. Bernie Parmalee is the running back about to get the ball. The guy right behind me is a tight end, Eugene Riley, that played for the Colts. Bernie obviously played for the Miami Dolphins. And then there's me, uh, the fat guy that, you know, never got a sniff in the NFL. But 
This is just in my phone. Next picture. I, I, let, let's, <laughs> y'all, this is me and my best friends in college. We all traveled up to Chicago uh, to go party in Chicago at some nightclub. I, I know it looks like a bad picture of uh, New Edition or Belle Bib DeVoe or, you know, <laughs> we're all wearing the, the whatever was popular back then, but that's Frank Barnes, Caswell Dawson, Chuck Kelly, Todd Fennell, Jeff Hammond, and myself. These are my, my boys from college on a college weekend going up to Chicago to do to be stupid. This is just in my phone. Show the picture of me and my grandmother <laughs> on graduation day. Mama love you. You hear me talk about mama love you? This is the woman that planted the seed. Do we have that picture or not? This is the woman that planted the seeds, these Christian seeds you hear me talking about. Oh, we didn't put the picture. All right, we don't have the picture. Me and my, but it's on my graduation day. I'm in my graduation gear. She's next to me, hugged up. This is just in my phone this morning. I, I'm just trying to figure out, how come Stephen A. Smith, he talks about his family, his mama, his sister. Nobody took a picture of anything that transpired in college other than this one little headshot of Stephen A. Smith at Winston-Salem State in his Wilt Chamberlain picture. That's it? I mean, seriously, any time they represent Stephen A. Smith and his college experience, that's all we get. That just doesn't seem real. And it's just like, what's going on here? He's the face of sports media, the face of the worldwide leader. I I, I just, the face of the media has written a memoir and I can't find one legitimate review of it in any, ma- any major or small publication. The, the face of sports media, the most important, the highest paid, nothing. Let me play a video of Smith going back to Winston-Salem State. This is one of these times that ESPN uh, visited the campus and uh, let me see, what no- am I right here? Is it SOT number five? Yeah. Let's play SOT number five. Stephen A., this is about a two, three minute. Molly introduces what's going on, and then Stephen A. starts engaging with some of his former teammates. Let's play the clip. I've been working with Stephen A. almost five years. You know, he's pretty big time. He's the star, the alpha, but I really wonder what he was like in college, and that's why we just surprised him. Let's throw it over to Stephen A. Can you please introduce your longtime friends and teammates? Well, well, first of all, you ain't gonna find out too much because each and every one of these boys know better than talking (laughs) about me publicly like this, okay? So you better mind your manners. Don't be telling all the secrets, all right? These are my teammates from Winston-Salem State, a few of them from the basketball team at Winston-Salem State. Pretty boy Phil Hayes is the one here right now. What's up, Phil? What's good, Steve? Congratulations, brother. Proud of you, man. How is it that after all of these years, you still look the same? Uh, it's, yeah. It's living in the Hamptons, baby. He's a model, too. This is ridiculous. Man, bye, man. My man, Phil Hayes. Appreciate you. Love your boy. Monte Ross, former assistant coach of St. Joe's, former head coach of Delaware. I want to tell you business. I can tell now where you're going to be at. Temple University, going to be assistant coach at Temple University back in the... What's going on, Mom? What's going on, Steve? What's going on, man? How you doing? 
So you didn't think to tell me about this? You wanted to surprise you? What were you trying to say to the people? I was sworn to secrecy, and I think we got you. You did get me. You did get me. Oh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, too. What Temple going to do this year? We'll be all right. We'll be all right. As long as the coaches stay out of the way, we'll be all right. Aaron McKee texted me earlier today, head coach for Temple. He texted me earlier. I should have known you were here because he texted me. Well, you know, he's a social media genius just like yourself, so I'm not surprised. Still a politician after all of these years. Thanks a lot, baby. Appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy right here, his name is Gary Stevens. We know him as Spank. I despise this man's laugh, okay? Him and this guy right here, Mark Turner, once collaborated with, enough, with each other to put on some old zoot suit my father had sent me to college with and walked around campus imitating me with the suit on. This is what I had to go through when I was a youngster. What's up, Spank? What's going on, bro? How you, you doing? You didn't think to tell me either? Nah, we was on the phone, what, Sunday for like an hour, right? That's right. Was, and you didn't tell me a word? I was sworn to secrecy, as Ma said, man. That was our job. We did a good job, right? I'll deal with you later. Yeah. <laughs> So, <clears throat> just think about what you just saw. And if you haven't connected the dots, the, the, those are just the first three teammates. Stephen A. Smith is six foot one. Them first three guys that he just showed you, he's towering over all of them. Stephen A. played on a midget basketball team. He's towering over all of them. This is a college basketball team. The Monte Ross guy checks out because he does do a little coaching and, and he's, he's got some, I, I, I saw a roster where he was listed and he's listed at five foot eight or whatever. But that the last guy that they showed him talking to, Gary Stevens, there's no proof, there's no history that he ever existed really at Winston-Salem State other than, and because I've done the homework, I found one newspaper article that listed that final guy that looked like he was about five foot eight standing next to Stephen A. Smith. Gary Stevens, I found, I found one article from back in, I think 89 or 90, that listed Gary Stevens as a new player, a six foot two guard that they were bringing to Winston-Salem State. There was an article, I think it got, that article got written before the season. And then Gary Stevens' name never appears anywhere else on a stat sheet, in a yearbook. We called the registrar, couldn't find a Gary Stevens even registered at Winston-Salem State at any point. But that guy, Gary Stevens, runs around the country and runs around social media. He and Stephen A. Smith were teammates at Winston-Salem State. They fly every... He, Stephen A. goes to Colorado to visit Dion. Gary Stevens is right there with him. And in every picture I see, like, this dude looks like he's 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, Stephen A. towers over him. Stephen A. is 6'1". The only article I can find lists Gary Stevens as 6'2", as a, a future recruit or coming to campus. He never plays a drop at Winston-Salem State. We find him, or, or someone that we believe is him, that played at some little tiny small college in New York and maybe studied accounting or something. I, I, for sorry, I can't, Old Westbury, I, I can't remember the name of it. But I, this is just weird. Th this is just mysterious. Like, who are these guys? 
Phil Hayes, another midget. Who are they? You, you can, it's hard to find them. In, in the, I, I've seen pictures of Mark Turner that, you know, it's like, I think he's listed at six foot five on the stat sheet. I see pictures of him on the internet where he looks like six foot, six one, maybe six two at the tallest, maybe same height. I mean, it's weird. And 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 I know it's like y'all sitting there going like, how could why would Western Salem State allow this? Or Jason, you, you're just being paranoid, you're being conspiratorial. Well, how could this happen? Western Salem State, they're inviting him on campus, and you know, there's just no way they would be in on it. Well, I, I'm not so sure. I, I, I don't know. I would love an explanation. I've been trying to find out. And, and, and I'm just telling you, Cat Williams just opened up the door. It's like, you know what? I'm gonna talk about what I've been looking into for the past three or four months. This whole Stephen A and this whole Winston-Salem State, this whole, it doesn't make sense. There's a woman who has appeared on first take twice as Stephen A. Smith's college professor. Her, her, her name is Marilyn Mama Roseboro is what Stephen A. calls her. And, and Stephen A. wrote something on social media or put out a tweet. Uh, God, let me, I, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna grab it here. Put out a tweet, shouting out Mama Roseboro. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, to my former WSSU professor, Marilyn Roseboro, whom I affectionately call Mama Roseboro. Perhaps the greatest compliment I could ever extend to a woman goes to her. She was an extension of my mother, Janet Smith. She loved, she cared, she extolled, she demanded, she held me accountable, she nurtured me, she turned me into a man. Professor Marilyn Roseboro's love, affection, devotion, we're uh, served on were served on behalf of my mother when Janet Smith was in New York and I was at school at Winston-Salem State in Big House Games with my father figure. She certainly was the mama figure and she still is today. I love you, Mama Roseboro, forever and always, Stephen A. Smith. I think that's from his memoir. And so, I, I, I'm just sorry, just being a journalist, I'm just like, let's go to the yearbook, let's go to newspaper articles. She, in, in every yearbook and in every newspaper article, she's listed as special assistant to the chancellor. Special assistant to the chancellor. That, that's her in the middle from the yearbook. Special assistant. Stephen A, th these, I'm talking about these are yearbooks from the time when Stephen A was there and special assistant to the chancellor. I found newspaper articles referencing her as that. Never anywhere as a professor. I, I want to play you a clip of her on uh, first take uh, talking about her time uh, with Stephen A. Smith. And look, maybe she doubled up was an special assistant to the uh, chancellor and uh, a professor of, of something. But here's her and Stephen A. Smith on first take. 
One of WSSU's most celebrated alums is our very own Stephen A. Smith, who helped create a scholarship in his name as he continues to give back to his alma mater. Stephen A., here's one of your former professors with a very special message for you, sir. Hi, Stephen. It's been a minute, but I still remember those days of you back at Winston-Salem State University. Not just as a student, but I remember even before I retired, I never called and you said no. Whether it was speaking to a group of students or coming to do a promotional video for the university, anything we asked of you, you've always done it. You really took to heart the enter to learn, depart to serve. And I am so very proud of you. As you were a student, I looked at you and I thought, he's going places. I'll admit, some days I wasn't sure where. You were very challenging. You challenged me as a professor. You challenged my knowledge. Some days you challenged my patience, but that's what good students do. They challenge all of us to be better, and you did that. I'm a, I was a better professor because of you, and now you are such a shining light as part of the Ramily. I am still proud of you today as I was before, and I look forward to all those great things that you're going to do in the future. I'm Maybe there's just some simple uh, explanation. And again, maybe she was a special assistant and maybe she also doubled up as a professor. But I I've never seen a professor want to be called a special assistant to the president or a chancellor or whatever. They, you know, being a professor is a higher ranking. I, I don't know, newspaper articles called her a special assistant, not a professor. It just, I don't, what, what did she teach him? I mean, again, I've, seen, I've watched two different interviews where it's never said like, oh, I can remember the English lit class or I remember the uh, media 101 class or I, it's just never, it's just she's a professor and the class she taught is never spoken. But, but again, I don't want to be too conspiratorial because I don't know. I've been trying to figure out for three or four months, but I don't know. I just know how the yearbooks and newspapers listed her. I, I, I just, you're, you're leaning into this Winston-Salem State stuff. You're putting out a memoir, you're going back to campus, and all we can get is the Wilt Chamberlain photo. You're on TV uh, saying, I, I cracked my knee, I only played in one game. Uh, that's why I averaged one and a half points. Then you come back five, six months, seven months later, and I didn't play in any games, and it's all a lie. You, you, you said you landed a full-ride basketball scholarship off a practice scrimmage on a Sunday? A day after the team played a game? You say when you're at fit from 6 a.m. until 11.30 p.m.? Not one minute was unaccounted for, and you're crisscrossing New York City and making it to basketball practice, and then all of a sudden you just disappear from the team without explanation? You never pee a drop in high school basketball or college basketball, but a poor, historically black Division II team gave you a scholarship because you made 17 straight shots? Yeah, and a scrimmage on a Sunday, a day after the team played a basketball, it just doesn't add up. His book 
<laughs> raises more questions than it provides answers. H how did this man become the face of sports media? I mean, you read this book, and, it, it, and, and it's like Claudine Gay makes perfect sense. You read it and think Cat Williams is telling the truth about the entertainment industry and how everyone is installed. When, when you read the book and then compare the 15 lies that I said you have to either tell or ignore, in order to be uh, uh, a member of the corporate media landscape or be a top influencer in the industry. Stephen A. Smith checks every one of them boxes. He either supports or he ignores all the 15 lies that are necessary to be told to be front and center in any of these industries, these influencer industries. And, and, and then for me as a journalist, and again, this is where I'm like Cat Williams, like, man, y'all done destroyed the meritocracy. He's not here on merit. This was not a great journalist. Because I, I, we're the same age. We came up at the same time. I knew all the same people. I followed his work. When I talk below average writer, there's no one in the industry that doesn't have stories about the people that work with Stephen A. Smith at the Philadelphia Inquirer and anywhere. It didn't say like, his work had to be majorly rewritten. It was sloppy. There's no one that has watched him talk about sports just like, man, this dude really knows sports. I mean, oh my God, he knows the NBA inside and out. He, he, no, he can't, he don't know it schematically. He, he, he did, people did occasionally tell Stephen A. interesting things, occasionally. But he wasn't Adrian Wojnarowski. He wasn't Shams Sharnia. I'm sorry if Shams, if I screwed up your last name. He, he, he wasn't Adam Schefter. He wasn't an information guru. No. He, and as a writer, as a columnist, he wasn't Mike Wilbon. He wasn't Dan Lebertard. He wasn't Jason Whitlock. He wasn't Tony Kornheiser. He was a blowhard who, according to my conversation, like with his high school teammate, same guy he was in high school, a blowhard who <laughs> got kept getting cut from the basketball team and finally begged, I think the guy's name is Harvey Stiller, Stiller or something, whoever the high school basketball coach, he had a little growth spurt and talked the high school basketball coach into putting him on the team his senior year. And then Stephen A. tells some concocted story about he failed a single assignment and got put off the team. Didn't fail a class, a single assignment. I, I went to high school at the same time. And from the conversations I had about Thomas Edison High School, it wasn't some high profile academic, it wasn't the Harvard of high school uh, in New York. Failing an assignment is not going to get you kicked off the team. It, it's a it's a story. I read it and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know how many classes? How many classes 
a decent, a, a, a scholarship-worthy athlete would have to fail to get kicked off a high school team in the 1980s? But he told the story, and we're supposed to buy, and he allegedly went to fit Fashion Institute Technology and was briefly on that team and quit for no reason and had a outdoor practice on a playground in New York City in February. And someone said, oh God, I gotta drive you to North Carolina next week to try out for Big House Games. And we're gonna drive, you're gonna drive from New York to North Carolina on a Saturday, go to sleep in a hotel, wake up the next morning, and go to a scrimmage that has already started at Winston-Salem State at the end of their basketball season. On Saturday, they played a game. On Sunday, allegedly, they came back and had a scrimmage, and Stephen A. Smith shows up in the middle of it, knocks down 17 shots, and gets a basketball scholarship. And then, you know, if you read the rest of the book, or other parts of the book, he, you know, he, what he, he tells an incredible story about uh, how he broke his knee and, and going up for a layup in a practice in February of 1989. And I mean, it just sounds so silly and stupid, but again, no one has read the book. No one has questioned the book or people have read the book and they're not legal authorized to question it. But I've never seen someone of this stature, the face of sports media could write a book this far-fetched, and no one in the media questioned any of it. And so my initial reaction when I read this, before Cat Williams sent me off at another door, I was like, man, this sounds like Stephen A is trying to position himself for a political career. This, this has all the trimmings and tracings of like, uh, what is it, what did Obama's book, Dreams of My Father? And that little fancy narrative that they cooked up for Barack Obama. And again, you read Stephen A's book and it reads like a movie script, a far-fetched movie script, like uh, Black Panther. Not, not Pursuit of, it don't sound like Pursuit of Happiness. It was based on a real life story. It sounds like Wakanda Forever or, you know, some superhero that would get up at 6 a.m. and dance all around New York City. It, 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 it's like, uh, those of us that lived out in L.A. and used to watch the show 24 and Jack Bauer used to hop. I think he would be out in New York and he, I mean, in L.A. and he'd be hopping around from place to place to place all in a single day. And we'd be sitting there like, you can't move around L.A. like that. It'll take you two hours just to get where Jack Bauer showed up in 15 minutes. And so that, that I'm reading this whole thing about New York and he went to here and he did and he stood on his feet for all these hours and then he went to basketball practice and he, he quit work at four o'clock and was at basketball practice at 4.30 and two hours and then he went to class, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this dude's Jack Bauer. It, it maybe there's a simple explanation. I, I even went so far, you know, Stephen A tells the famous story about, uh, when he was a student there, and even though he was close to Big House Gaines, I wrote a column calling for Big House Gaines to step down as coach. I don't know if those are exact words, but that's the insinuation that he said that he wrote a piece saying that Big House Gaines' health was in such poor shape he needed to step down as coach. 
And so I dug up Stephen A. Smith's college writing. The, the what do they call it? The News Argus, maybe? It only came out once a month. It only, I think it came out seven times a year, the school paper that Stephen A. Smith allegedly wrote this article calling for big house gains to step down. And <clears throat> only article I could find, the only thing close to that didn't come anywhere near calling for big house gains to step down. It just, I think the strongest thing he said might have been something may have to change or I can't remember, but it, it was it was a <laughs> silly, harmless article that basically said, yeah, they didn't have a good season and something might have to change. Or how long can this go on? Or I, I don't know. It was. I, and, and maybe I'm telling I read all of them. I, I, I went down the rabbit hole. Dude called me fat bastard and it motivated me. I went, OK, let me look up under his skirt. You want, you know, we can all sit around and giggle and laugh. We love that bastard. I'm going to ask permission for ESPN so I can attack Whitlock and tell all his dirt. Oh, okay. Well, let me read your memoir. And then I'm going to do some homework. And <laughs> it don't add up, bro. It just don't add up. What Cat Williams is talking about adds up. What they do is they take someone they can control. Because take, that's why we got Claudine Gay up there. Unqualified for her position at Harvard, installed as president of Harvard because she owes them a debt. She's unqualified to be the president at Harvard. She hasn't written enough. She's plagiarized the few little things she has written. She's not that bright. But she can be controlled. She can be a puppet. That, that's... What I'm telling you all and what my entire argument is, instead of our best and brightest, take, take, why, why would ESPN go all in on Stephen A. Smith when they got Mike Wilbon sitting right there? There's been no one that has denied Mike Williams' talent as a journalist. Graduated from Northwestern University, long, illustrious career at, at, the Washington Post, and, and look, I'm not saying, you know, Mike, he supports and or ignores the 15 lies like everybody else. But again, Mike can stand on his own two feet. Mike put his own career together. He didn't need crutches. He had his own. And so they don't trust him. Even though he says all the right things, they just don't trust him. Stephen A. Smith, someone they installed, someone they put crutches on, someone they placed at the top of the profession, although he was completely unqualified, they control him. Someone with a background. So I'm telling you, I went deep down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Stephen A. Smith's high school yearbook, he's not pictured in it. His name is listed in it as someone that graduated and someone that was going off to Fit University. But the 1986 yearbook for Stephen A. Smith, he ain't pictured in it. I've never seen someone this high profile. That you just their narrative, their journey, their their any, you know, you just can't find it anywhere. This high profile is not published in his memoir. You can't find it on the internet. You start looking around Winston Salem State, you can't find 
You can't find nothing. Look at his high school year. He's not even pitching. And I'm telling you, his name's listed. And I talked to one of his teammates that remembers him and said, you know, they got along relatively well. But, you know, Stephen A. was a blowhard and Stephen A. Uh, was not much of a basketball player and rode the bench and then disappeared for reasons that this guy didn't know, couldn't remember. These people are installed and, and we're all and, and just cutting to the bone. It, it, it's all part of this conversation I've been having all week about like they're chosen. And, and they're they're using race and black because you can't question. You, oh, Claudine Gay's president at Harvard. If you question her credentials, you're racist. Oh, Stephen A is the face of sports media and the top journalist or pundit or broadcaster at ESPN. If you question it, you're racist or you're a sellout. And you can't say like, hey man, okay, I'm cool. Y'all wanna make a, a, a black dude the face of ESPN? I'm good with that. Mike Wilbon's sitting right there, qualified and everything, can stand on his own two feet. Why not go that route? And, and so we're sitting here, those of us with talent and work ethic, stand on our own two feet. It's like, y'all eliminating merit. And when you eliminate merit, and then everybody that you install has to agree to either tell these lies or uh, ignore these lies. That's the only way they can get in position. That's how lies proliferate. And we live in a world of lies. And so, and, and they can always be counted on to be on message. And I, I talked about this yesterday. When you install someone and you tell them, and I need you to run out there and, and tell them to take that vaccine, I need you to run out there on TV and call ivermectin horse medicine. Stephen A. Smith, yes, sir, boss. No problem. And then, <laughs> this is what I'm telling When they say, Stephen A., <clears throat> Kyrie Irving has tweeted out a movie poster that we don't like. I need you to run out there and destroy this man's character and call and insinuate that he's anti-Semitic and insinuate that he's done something wrong. Yes, sir, boss. I'll do it. I'll get right on it. And it, 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 it the, again, I, I got the same energy as Cat Williams in terms of like, this is infuriating because I get penalized for being like, nah, I ain't gonna do that. I'm not telling people to take the vaccine and I'm not gonna criticize Kyrie Irving for tweeting out a movie poster. And if I get called anti-Semitic because I don't have a problem with Kyrie Irving tweeting out whatever movie poster he wants, I'm just gonna deal with that. But I'm the sellout. That, that's what Cat. Williams is saying, and that's what I'm saying.
You have fallen for the okie doke. You've fallen for the programming. You've fallen for the plants. And this is where your idolatry takes you down a path that harms you. So I told y'all today's show was going to be a smoker. And it was. I'm going to give you this cigarette that I promised you at the uh, top when we were done. Warren Sapp and I are going to talk some football and sports after this and just but enjoy uh, what I just uh, fed you uh, and enjoy uh, myself and Warren Sapp uh, talking a little football and sports next. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Owen Carey, previously on Fearless. We're supposed to have team meetings with Dion every Wednesday. And so the first four weeks of spring training, you know, we're all very excited. Most of us are excited. Some people are pretty apprehensive about getting to work out for Prime and go prove that they have what it takes. And the first three weeks, he skipped the team meeting that he had scheduled with us. And so the first three weeks we're working out, we did not get to see him, talk to him, interact with him, hear from him, anything. He uh, This is the whole team. Yeah. And you say every Wednesday? Mm-hmm. And you guys are you have the introductory press conference that everybody films, and then when he gets to Boulder, there's scheduled team meetings and you never meet with the head coach. Correct. All right, time to talk some football with an NFL Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players in NFL history. And in my opinion, and this is no slight to him on the field, I actually think he's better talking about football than playing football. And that's a powerful, powerful statement. Because, man, Warren Sapp could play some football. Warren, uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All that good stuff. Uh, I hope things went well for you in Florida. All that good stuff. Saw mom, dudes, my brother, my nieces. Today's my sister's birthday. So, hey, man, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time. It's a Santa was thing good started. to you? Hey, man, what? Don't no jolly white guy get no credit at my house. It's a jolly black guy over here that gets the credit. I'm doing the work around here, man. Well, you Sam? Hey, listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't lie to my children, so I, I'm going to ask them not to lie to me. So I started way early. There's no jolly white guy going down the chimney around here. It's a jolly big black guy around here that leaves skin on in 31 <laughs> out of 32 stadiums to provide those gifts. Are you not don't write old no enough, Warren, to don't remember? Don't write no letters. To I'm the baby. I'm the baby. You, the baby is six. I know when I was a kid, though, on the radio, 
You don't remember the song? Santa Claus was a black man. Santa Claus is the black man, and he's just like, just like that. We played that anyway. Uh, <laughs> you don't remember that song? What's going on in the Bible Belt? <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't play that in the All South, right. baby. And if we knew the ice cream truck well, would race, we'd, we'd have blow that up too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. I digress. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, there was some. Really fascinating football games oh, uh, during the holiday one. break. Yes, uh, yes. The most fascinating to me, uh, we'll start with the Detroit Lions Ooh. losing to the Dallas Cowboys because uh, Dan Campbell's an idiot, in my opinion. <laughs> and <laughs> Good after work. the Good penalty, work. you have with to the- kick the extra point. No, no, no. After and- the second penalty. After the second penalty, because <laughs> they told you you didn't report because you had three people over there and only two reported. I, I, evidently, the ref didn't look at the numbers and just call out because take it from a guy that used to come in and report, I never went in and they didn't call out number 99 to the world was eligible because I wanted the ball. There's no way I go tell you that I'm eligible. I get the ball at this point. I don't know what the old lion was. Maybe he was in the old lion frame of mind that, you know, SOL, same old Lions, you know what I'm saying? Whatever it is, you know? But, hey, Dan Campbell, I agree with you. But you have to remember, he didn't kick a field goal at the end of the half and went for it. Yeah. I, and no I, one's talking about it because everybody's talking about the refs. Warren, the analytics. As no, 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 no. The analytics. The analytics say go for it. Who the hell is analytics and where does he live? Because I want to go assassinate him. Because the game of football is a lot better without him. A lot better without analytics. You kick that ball on the road in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium where they average 40 points a game. You kick that ball. You take every point you can get. And then at the end, you look up, and if I need two, now I'll go for two. But he didn't need two if he'd kick the field goal. He'd be in a situation to win the game and milk the clock. You bite knees, elbows, shoulders, knees, and toes, but you don't want to kick the field goal on the road? Come on, Dan. You're demoralizing your football team. You're making it hard for them to win. And you're the Lions. It's a whole city of Detroit. I know a Lion fan dog that's an old school dude. And all he talk about is, I done seen it all, man. They're going to find a way to give it away. And I, I tell him, I said, I was in Tampa, and I used to remember hearing that same thing. The players on the field got to make the people in the stands believe. It ain't the other way around. And so... As someone who reported in as an eligible receiver, have you ever seen or was it ever part of the deception to send to bring multiple more people guys over there? No, no. At to the rep? No. no. Because me and McFarlane w- was, was the two that reported for him in White Hurricane for John. And we'd walk in and we'd say 92 and 99 eligible and go to the huddle just that fast. But I understand why Dan did that. You know, you t- you send three over, and the ref's looking at three, and, you know, he, he's a dentist, you know, or insurance salesman or whatever he does Monday through Saturday or Monday through Friday. And, you know, he doesn't think it's that important. He don't, he don't understand the deception of what they're doing. And you saw what he did. He blew the call. I mean, and then they move it back to the seven, and then DeMarcus, no, was it uh, DeMarcus Lawrence or was it Micah Parsons? Micah. Extra Lawrence. Micah Parsons or was offside. Michael Michael Parsons. Was offside. Yeah, now they move it back yeah. to the three and a half. 
I'm like, you got to kick this ball at this point, dog. <laughs> you got to say, all right, we, we we did it. They gave us one back, and now we got to kick the ball. I mean, you just got to kick the ball and go to overtime. There's nothing else you can do. But that's Dan Campbell for you, baby. How does that compare? Did you watch the college playoff game, Alabama and Michigan? Stop it. I'm a little surprised with the fourth down quarterback draw by Nick Saban. And I'm the dumbfounded. Tide. I'm dumbfounded by it. We talking about two penalties in that game. We talking about two timeouts. You call one, and then they call one. And you can't tell me you couldn't come up with. You know what? We're gonna put the whole game, and they're definitely gonna blitz us. And if the defensive coordinator at Michigan is like anything in my mind frame, all quarterbacks get courage in the red zone. The risk versus reward is always great. That's why John Elway did the helicopter spin in the Super Bowl and, you know, became famous for it. That's what you do in the red zone. And that's why Matt Ryan would never have his, you know, team uh, would never have his back because he wouldn't go in there. He'd slide in the red zone. No, you don't slide, son. You stick your nose in there because the six points get you home. But Nick Saban and company. Who the hell is calling the play? I know Lane Kiffin would have had a play for you, baby. <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian would have had one. blew up in their face. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I, hey, but you remember early in the year when Mr. Melrose told us, my coaches said that I'm not a quarterback. Well, son, they were right. <laughs> <laughs> son, they were right. And you told on yourself. So here it is. In the game. It, I mean, the only thing he had to do was grab 77 by the jersey. He the drug him in the end zone. <laughs> I mean, 77 came around that thing. Coming, did he went up? Oh, that, oh, that big sucker come around there. Whoa. Oof. That's, I, I, I like him. <laughs> I don't like the play call, right, but I like so- him. So the best team in college football right now appears to be, and we'll find out here next week, Michigan, coached by Jim Harbaugh. The best team in the NFL looks like the Baltimore Ravens, coached by John Harbaugh. Well, no, let's just say the number one seed. Let's just say the number one seeds. Let's just say that because we can't say the better team until they actually play. I mean, Baltimore's got the number one seed, six straight wins, but Harbaugh is – Undefeated, and so is the the Huskies in Washington, and he's led by a Tampa boy. So let's just say the two number one seeds. And you're asking me gotcha. which one would I which one would I rather play for? Who's the better coach, John or Jim Ooh. Harbaugh? Ooh, Jim. I want to sack John. I want to play for Jim. <laughs> I, I want to sack one. Well, Jim's play the for quarterback. The Hold on, you want to sack? sack him. I want to sack Jim. I want to sack the quarterback, and I want to play for John. Yeah. There John you is go. my you, coach. You said it backwards the first time. I said it backwards the first time. Okay, yeah. I want to sack the quarterback, which is Jim, and I want to play for John. Because John is a, a, a Super Bowl champion like my John. I like that. I, li- I like those credentials. I, I really do like those when you stood on the mountaintop in the National Football League. Yeah, with, with Joe Flacco. Yeah, he, he did some work. Yeah, he did some work. <laughs> Sap, I think the thing that has impressed me most about John Harbaugh this year and just overall, but this year they took a bold step with uh, Lamar Monken. Jackson. Changed Monken. up the offensive the, the, coordinator. The offense, yeah, the coordinator. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it takes a coach to have the pulse of his football team. That's the one thing about that John is better than Jim for me because John used to be a special teams coach. 
And when you're a special team coach, you know the heart and soul of your team is them, you know, Kenny Gantz and them, you know, Jerry Ellison's and LaCurtis Buckley's guys that, you know, are household names, but go out there and do that big four little two for you with without with with a conviction. You know what I'm saying? That's why I love that's why I'm in love with, with John. John is special. And John realized that his offense in Lamar had got stagnant and the league had caught up with it. You know, from a unanimous MVP to a one in three playoff record and 52 points in four games. I mean, we can't do this. We're going to have to do something special around here. And Monk and his came in, and I saw him early in the year when I was with the commanders and they was practicing. And I told somebody, I said, Lamar might throw for 5,000 yards. And they was like, you crazy boy. Yeah, he had running. I'm like, dog, trust me. This young man is in the pocket and he's throwing it and and Zay Flowers. Young man. Where have you come from? <laughs> oh my goodness! Remember we say Lamar ain't had no weapons. Well, Lamar got a—he got a pick to throw it. But we heard from Andrews in a couple weeks. Is Andrews on the field anymore? Likely up in there. Andrews hurt. Man, them boys is rolling right now. And you remember when they were seven and three? We was talking about the three losses they had because they had at least like a fourteen-point lead in the fourth quarter. It should have been ten and zero. Yeah. It's here's the other thing, Sap, about John Harbaugh and just the Baltimore organization. And I didn't prepare you, prep you for this question, but it, it is it don't matter. part of what I've been thinking. Uh, and, and it's it's it, I'll be interested in your reaction to this. The Baltimore defense and how it has survived despite the Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, Bowler. they all leave. Yeah. yeah, they all leave. And, but that, that tradition of great defense has continued. I, I think it's like incredible that Warren Sapp and what Ed Reed established there, I think though the, the following players have come in and felt like we got to live up to that standard. And I know that you and Brooks and Lynch tried to establish the same thing in Tampa, but it's like I'm looking at Baltimore execute. That's the <laughs> identity of their franchise. Yeah. We're going to show up and play defense. And I got to tip my hat to Ray and Suggs and Ed Reed. Like, man, they left a stamp on this organization that's going to last 20 years. You know what? It was almost like that, like Pittsburgh. You know, we used to talk about Blitzberg and all yeah. the different linebackers in Pittsburgh. That's what allows them organizations to keep that going. What we played in Tampa is in a museum. <laughs> you ain't playing Tampa too no more. <laughs> you can't defend the middle of the field with it. But, you know, and I, I got to take my hat off to Chuck Smith because I, I really wasn't a Chuck Smith fan, you know, with his, with his pass rushing academy up in Atlanta because I hadn't seen one player that he developed. But he's got something going on in Baltimore right now. They are attacking the quarterback with a reckless abandonment. And we both got to tip our hats to Ozzie Newsom because Ozzie made us all a, Ozzie made us all shake our head when he grabbed the Lamar Jackson with the with the first round pick, 31st pick. You know, we all went, Oh, Ozzie, what are you doing? Well, boy, was Ozzy <laughs> was Ozzy right? And then Ozzy walks out the door and leaving with people that's more than handle with the capabilities and the mindset that they have in Baltimore to keep that organization running. And I love it. I love it. I mean, it's just it's just one of the class organizations. If you've ever been to their training facility, holy smokes, my goodness, <laughs> I wouldn't mind practicing now. So, Seth, <laughs> you just took me to another point I want to make, and I've been hammering is. I was someone 
who was skeptical of Lamar as a quarterback in the pocket coming out of college. We all were. We all were. And a lot of people were, certainly. Some yeah. people, there were a lot of people saying, oh, why are you questioning this racism? But, but, but what I've always said is that the proper amount of skepticism and criticism is actually steroids for a player with the right attitude. Oh, yeah. And so, like, when you dropped in the draft. Oh, the fire. Like, what? The fire, gas. Oh. Gas everywhere. Yeah. Just just hit a spark and you got yeah. an inferno. Yes. Yes. I marked them 11 team down. Tom Brady. And, and, Tom. The, and the 16 behind them that didn't move up. Yeah. I wanted everybody on the list. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Tom yes. Brady, when we look at what he did after being so tough late, that at this is why I'm so uh, defensive or critical of people that want to protect these athletes from criticism. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, criticism Let them have actually. It. Yeah, it, this, Michael Jordan used to invent criticism to unleash his greatness. And, and this is clearly what has happened to Lamar Jackson. It's like, oh, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And this guy is proving everybody wrong. This man heard all summer. Why is his mama negotiating this contract? <laughs> what? That, if that will no hit your soul on your couch, nothing will. And this young man has came out, and I think I am switching my MVP vote. Tariq Hill yeah. without his, you know, the, 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 the tape on, it was nice. 17-17, it was nice and it was cute. But you know what I told you, November and December is what we remember. And boy, Lamar Jackson went on a tear. And what he did to San Francisco was an absolute clinic. And then turned around and put five more up on the Dolphins. Oh, my goodness. I was... Get a man a trophy. His second one. His second one. So now in the last, what, six years, three guys have won it two times? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar, and, who, and Aaron Rodgers? And Aaron Rodgers. There you go. Huh. <laughs> the, the only other candidate to me would be Christian McCaffrey, but he can't win it after what Baltimore did to San no. Francisco. No. So it's a wrap. It's a wrap. It, 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 it's a wrap. Those last two games wrapped it. Last two games wrapped it. I mean, wrapped it up. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and took down and I'm Brock someone, Yeah, took down the quarterback and the running I'm back. I'm someone that... The other yeah. Go ahead. Lamar's season isn't as individually as good as his previous MVP season, but his impact on the mentality of that team and, and the intensity of that team can't be underestimated. Lamar had something to prove, and that's made the team put a chip on the entire team's shoulder. And my God, they have wrecked shop. Now, I hope to God it doesn't flame out in the playoffs, and I really don't think it will. I, I think they're clearly the best team in the AFC, and I look forward, in my view, to a rematch between them and the 49ers in the postseason. That'd be a good Super Here's another guy. Here's another guy with a chip on his shoulder, in my view, uh, Joe Flacco. <laughs> and what he's doing yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah. That's amazing to me. That, but that, he has that championship pedigree. And when a team, you know, gets you on a team and you've been at your house you know, the first, what was it, 90 days he was at the house or something like that? You know, listen, reality strikes in. It comes to you. And 
Joe's always had a strong arm. Let's, let's not question that. He's always had a strong arm. And I think the whole NFL is happy right now that they, they don't have that boy Chubb. Because, boy, if they had Chubb with that, oh, my goodness. Because that defense will travel anywhere on God's green earth. And we know how Joe is. Joe get hot and launch one up to Amari Cooper. And, you know, and, and Duke Wade, the old Kane right there, tight end. Listen, I and Cleveland could beat Baltimore. You know, whenever you have that divisional game, Cleveland can beat Baltimore. They're not, they're not afraid to go in there and play them. They're not afraid to go in there and punch them in the mouth and look them in the eye. That's the only, that's the only thing I look up is the Cleveland. Cleveland might be the one because Pat Mahomes' receiver has just let him down. And, you know, Josh Allen is playing his, his butt off right now, but he's still got some wild throws in the headless horseman. I, I just don't trust him. No, it's going to be between Baltimore and uh, that other team I was just telling you about. Yeah, them two. Cleveland. Yeah, yeah so- Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland. In the, do you think what Flacco is doing hurts, helps, or has no impact on Deshaun Watson next season? I don't think it has an impact. That that contract is is rock solid, and no one's touching it with luck. No one's t- they're gonna have to get something out of this young man at some point. But Joe will be sitting there after this run. To, to to salvage him and then they'll just throw him away after this because what do you do? You can't just, I mean, the money's going to be paid to him, but you can't endure the fan base to this misery. There's no hope in with, the, with, the, with you telling him he's in training, he's the training camp quarterback. I, I mean, but you got to go one more. You so got to go be, one more. One more. We could be more. looking at a Nick Foles, <laughs> Carson Wentz situation. No, but it wasn't a guaranteed this, contract. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's the difference. But the organization went all in on Wentz. Cleveland obviously went all in on Deshaun Watson. And no, I think that a lot pressure different. of what Nick Foles did. A lot different. A lot different. Now, Joe Flacco go wins the championship. Now we got now we got action. Now now we got action. Now we got really good. Now we got something to talk about and watch it all season. But to bring a championship home with a guaranteed quarter of a billion dollars sitting there watching it, and you know he's going to be at the parade. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, you know what? I watched the Heisman Trophy winner down in Tampa at the Outback Bowl with his coach after they won, after after the receiver was out of bounds. Boy, some bad refereeing going on this weekend, too. Boy, geez (laughs) almighty. I don't know why it, boy. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to address the referee thing tomorrow. I think we're exaggerating uh, the the badness of the referee, and we put referees in a horrible position. The NFL has put way too much responsibility on them, too many subjective calls. It's just just too much. Oh, the game has really changed since we played. I don't think anybody can properly do that job. The game has changed since we played. The the calls have changed since we played. Yeah. Yeah, there's okay. more of them, though, too. You didn't have to sit around and go, oh, did he hit that quarterback below the knees? Did, did he land his entire body on the quarterback? You didn't have to make any decisions like that. But those aren't the calls they that they're making. Decisions those aren't, those aren't the calls that they're making. They're making offsides. They're making false. They call the center offsides. Come on, brother. Sap. Line up. Line up in a three technique, but have 30 different things you're thinking about other than go get the quarterback. 
No. And see never. if that doesn't change your performance. Never. You see a lot, you see nothing. You see a little bit, you see everything. <laughs> you got to have your eye on your key, baby. It's the little things in life. It's the pebble in your shoe that drive you crazy, not the mountain in front of you. You'll find a way around the mountain. That pebble in your shoe, every other step you take, you're uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you there, brother. Yeah, they have, they have did some silly things, but the one thing they haven't did, and I realized this, you know, throughout my college and pro career, whenever they change the rules, they've always had a video to show you what not to do. They don't have those videos about this quarterback and all this stuff. They, they don't have that video. You're just supposed to know. And they're about, I'm telling you, this all season, they're going to add this hip drop tackle thing. Oh, that's going to be no, another thing for they them. Can't they can't they're going to add it. The, the media's already built them up to it. <sighs> Let's move on to perhaps the biggest story of uh -oh. the NFL over the past uh -oh. week. Uh, Sean Payton has benched. Russell Wilson, and they played Jared Stidham and won this past week. Uh, everybody has gone from, hey, I don't like Russell Wilson. He's a simp and he's a nerd to now Russell Wilson is a victim of a crime and Sean Payton is a thug, according to Ryan Clark. And Sean Dictator. Payton has mistreated <laughs> Russell Wilson, who's, you know, going to get what? 37 more million from the Broncos. and it mm -hmm. make, it, it, Do you feel sorry for Russell Wilson and has Sean Payton done anything inappropriate here? I think Sean was a little wild with it. What do you call him, a dictator with thuggish behavior? <laughs> I think Ryan Clark anyway. And, you know, he ran it down. You know, he, he walked in the building and, and told him, you know, kicked him out of his office, kicked his people out, you know, told him that that ain't what's going down here, which I agreed with. But the kissing baby thing, you know, nobody kissed more butts and babies in New Orleans than Drew Brees. Come on. Drew Brees kissed and cooked and crab brawl, more babies and butts in New Orleans than anybody. So ain't nobody talking about no NFL quarterback running for okay, being a politician or anything. This, but he has to have his team. Let me ask you this. Hold uh -huh. up, Sap. Let me ask yeah, you I'm this. I'm with you. Uh, should we compare the treatment of Warren Sapp <laughs> to the treatment of who, who was a good defensive tackle but not a Hall of Famer? Uh... You know, uh, for some Keith Trailer, Leroy Glover, Leroy Glover. Since we talk about the Saints, Leroy Glover. Glover. Should we should we compare the treatment of Warren Sapp to Leroy Glover? Drew Brees, Hall of Famer, won a Super Bowl in New Orleans. Every year, four or five thousand yards. Every year, seventy percent completion. He's the face of the franchise. I I don't know if I have a problem with not treating Russell, and I like Russell Wilson, and I hope next year he goes to Pittsburgh or New England somewhere and has success. But I'm not going to throw a pity party for a guy that Pete Carroll and, and all them, the Legion of Boom, yeah, everybody yeah, had had enough yeah, they all turned their back of Russell them. Wilson. Yeah, I know. And, and I know. now... I just want to know this. And though. now because Sean Payton's a little rough... No, no, I mean, no. Let me, let me ask you this. You, know, you remember that sideline incident that they had when... I don't know if it was a false start on the center or whatever was called or whatever, and he was just berating him on the sideline. I just, and yeah. we all was thinking, like, what the hell did the ref call? You know, like, because he, he called something on the center. I think that was the offsides on the center that he called or something like that. 
And I mean, Sean Payton is just berating a Super Bowl back-to-back quarterback. The one that whooped Peyton Manning so bad that people don't even like to talk about the score. It was 43-8. to Peyton Manning didn't even say Omaha in that Super Bowl. Not one leg kick. Omaha! Not one time. Not one time did we hear it. <laughs> whooped him so bad. So I, 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 I digress with that one, but we're talking about the same level quarterback. I mean, Russell Wilson can get it done. The sweetest teardrop deep ball we've ever seen. And when he was Did Bill asked, Parcells not yell at Phil Sims? Did Bill oh, no, Parcells no, 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 not no, no, yell no, no, at Phil No, 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 no. That's Sims? a different era. That's a different era. The quarterback, we can assault him. Wasn't no hitting him below the knees then. You can hit him in the head, pick him up, and slam him. And you had to get up because it was a different league. So let's not go back there. But now, when, when Sean Payton, the king, who had done already drug Nathaniel Hackett down the road behind the truck like he was in Jasper, Texas, lit him up. And then when the media asked him, Coach, what was that about with your quarterback? None of your business. No, that is, that's not how you handle this. You know better. Come on. That, that's not it. I was upset about the call. What do you think about eight. the way Mike Singletary handled Vernon Davis? Uh, well, I don't, don't know that's a different team. position. Can't win with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he <laughs> sent him off the field. That's what you do. You send him to the locker room. When you don't feel like you can win with him and you don't want him on your team, you send him to the locker room. That's one less thing I got to worry about on the sideline. You don't berate your player as Sean Payton did in front of the world and you have no explanation for it? You, none of your business? First of all, only thing we got to do is click on one of those little recorders on the sideline and hear the whole conversation, son. I mean, who you, who you think you're talking to? Everything on that sideline is being recorded. There's boom mics every which way, but loose. We can find out exactly what you said if the league would let us. But that's what we're talking about again. Who's protecting who here? I, 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 I'd have I'm an opinion for party, Russell. but he's a little out of line with. He a little out of line with the brother. Yes. Because we was talking about how they had then got it together after giving up 70 in Miami. Vance, the defensive coordinator, had been doing well. Russell Wilson had then cut down his, you know, his, it, it, the only person that was close to his interception to touchdown ratio was C.J. Shroud. We were just talking about it the other week. And then they met up and all hell broke loose. I, I don't know if Sean Payton put something in the mix because they realized they had a $37 million guarantee and they know where for him to go. And I tell you what, I've never flunked a physical in my life, but I'll find a way to flunk one for $39 million. I know that. <laughs> I don't know how I flunk it, but I'll flunk it. <laughs> I'm going to give you another analogy of what this Come reminds on. me of. Come on. Of Donovan McNabb Ooh. went from Philadelphia and then got hooked up with Mike Shanahan and all hell broke loose. And, you know, Mike Shanahan not on the Donovan McNabb hype train and like, oh my God, what the crutches Andy Reid must have given Donovan McNabb, we can't give those crutches here. And <laughs> that, that's what this reminds me of. And in retrospect, and I was a huge Donovan McNabb fan. I defended Donovan McNabb and his dispute with Terrell Owens. I, def I defended Donovan McNabb when he got in a dispute with Mike Shanahan. In retrospect, though, I think Mike Shanahan might have been on to something. I, I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm going to leave that one alone because the, the five-finger shot town ball is a different animal. 
McNabb's a different animal, absolute different animal. I, I think Russell's a little less than that. So I, I, I see your analogy, and I'm just not going. Hold, hold for a second. You think McNabb's a better player than than Russell? No, no, no. It's a little bit more what we call uh, high maintenance, bougie, a little, 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 little. McNabb little, little. is. Yes, yes. A little bit. I'm the, I'm the man. McNabb yeah. is more bougie than Russell Wilson. Absolutely. More I'm the man and I can get it done. Yes, way more than Russell. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Without question. Clarify that for me. Put Donovan McNabb thinks he can walk on water. Russell Wilson knows he would need uh, some kind of assistance to get across that water. Donovan going to go out there. Yeah, I can walk on water. I, absolutely. I'm going to walk on water. And Russell will be like, uh, nah, that's water. And, you know, think about the situation. <laughs> Donovan, I'm going. I can walk on water. That, yeah, you understand what I'm saying? That, that, that yeah. mentality is what I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, a non-brother, right. bougie-wise, that we talking about, yeah, make the other way around. Switch around. <laughs> Switch around, yeah. Not not able to relate to the locker room, yes. Donovan's way better than that, did, 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 did Russell. Yes, no doubt about it. I'll, I'll give Don that. Donovan can handle that. He's from Chicago. He definitely can handle the locker room better than Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball uh, and North Carolina State don't prepare you for NFL locker room. There's some criminals in there. Well, want to be criminals, not real criminals. There's some truth to that. Uh, have you seen the video of the Carolina Panthers owner uh, tossing a drink at Jaguars fans? Uh, I don't mean to laugh. Heckled, but, and he got a, a $300,000 fine, Sap. That's like $300. What are you talking about? This man was a hedge fund manager that, that rode the wave on a 50-50 bet that, you know, interest rates won't go up and got $7 million. So what do we, what do we want? This man, this man has no conscience about what's going on, and he was doing this with other people's money. You're a hedge fund manager. That wasn't even your money. Come on. Give me a break. And you can see his disdain. I mean, that's an assault in Florida. I hope he knows. So Duval County should be paying him a visit. Yeah, he about to get. You think that three hundred is something? You wait till that that dude gets to the civil trial and that and that Seventh Amendment take trial and 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 David Tepper has to go into a Florida court and see a Florida judge. Oh yeah, he gonna have to give up some a, a nice piece of change. You think that three hundred dollars? That ain't no. Nah, we gonna get like a thousand. He get about fifteen hundred out of like one point five. Yeah, there's no reason to do that. No reason I, on God's green earth to attack someone, to assault someone. That's what that is. That's assault. In the great state of Florida. Yes, sir. Are you surprised the NFL uh, didn't come down a bit harder? The guy's worth $20 billion. Uh, are you no, surprised? No, 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 no. Hey, I, hey, hey. First, first time offender. I won't do it again. We all get that one. You get one. That's why it's a three hundred dollar fine. Just three hundred. I don't know if I, I I agree with that in terms of he's an owner, <laughs> so my standards for him Should are be the highest through the roof. for anybody involved in the league. Nope. Twenty billion dollars. Like, he's an owner. Nope. <laughs> His Stop. behavior has to be Stop. much higher beyond reproach, really, and so I I, I would have. I would have come down a little bit, uh, quite a bit harder here, actually. Oh, Suspension, 
Don't worry. Warranted. Don't worry. The Florida Civil Courts will take it over. <laughs> I promise you. If that fan had it already filed, he better go find Morgan and Morgan because size matters, baby. Trust me. Morgan and Morgan will scrape somebody on. Nice. Get him. Get him. He has a disdain for the fans. And who, who, who he made his money off of because that was public money that we bailed out those banks that you bet your money on at that hedge fund. So wake up, Tepper. Just because your bank account is where it's at, wake up, Tepper. Wake up. Close your window if you're that sensitive. Got to put your tough skin on to come to an NFL stadium, son, and your team lose. Trust me. <laughs> My mama done been there many times with them two nines on her back get, walking out of there getting cussed out for me. <laughs> it's bad. But and my mama didn't have a billion dollars in no cup. You know, my mama didn't drink to throw no water on nobody. So, Tepper, tighten up, baby. You're going to catch a lot of ass whoopers over there in Carolina coming up. <laughs> you know, Duval rough. Hey, them boys from Duval said they were looking for you, so I told them calm down, too. So, they rough at Duval. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Hey, I know. Uh, finally, uh, you got a national championship prediction here, Alabama, I mean, Michigan or Washington. Who's your national I'm going champion? With the, I'm going with the boy from the Hillsborough County, Florida, Pettick. Pettick in Washington, right there. Yeah. You know, like uh, your boy Kodak Black say, I knew that purple was still fake, but I still ate it because I'm a gremlin. I'm going with, I'm going with Washington. I'm going with I love this kid, Pettick. Oh, my goodness. He delivers a ball. You talking about Michael Penix? Penix. Penix, Pettick, yeah. Number nine Penix. in your program, Penix, number one yeah. in your heart. Yeah, him, the Tampa boy. He's from Tampa. Yeah, 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 Pettick. Oh. Yeah, that P-E-N-I-X. Yeah, Pettick. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah Michael Pettick, yeah. yeah. I'm not I'm not good with the All names. Right. I didn't name and I didn't have him, so I know who he is. And you know I love quarterbacks. I, this I'm, I'm right jumping here. on the Michigan bandwagon. Ooh. They're a better team than I thought. Better Defense 100. is better. They're just – Better hunter. Huh? Better oh, yeah. No, no, right. no problem. No problem. I got Michigan. Okay. You got Washington. You can have, you can have, you can have that cussing uh, interim coach. Nah, he's going to call some bad plays. <laughs> Sap, I salute you. Great job as always. Uh, we'll back, see baby. you Have a good week. 2024, and I can't wait to see you next week. I'll have my Super Bowl trophy out because it'll be playoff time. Yes, yes it will. Yes. All right, that's yes. Warren Sapp. Uh, I'm Jason Whitlock. Thank you. We'll play some tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seed When we all wanna be free We want freedom